matter where I go, people secretly and sometimes openly want to know how I can afford to travel year round. While I've spent over a decade traveling, I'm not even at the halfway point of seeing all 195 countries. However, there are quite a bit of people who have visited every country in the world. I plan to talk to all of them, asking them the sacrifices they've made to see every country, what were their favorites and least favorites, their craziest experiences, tips on how we can travel more, and yes, how they can afford to travel nonstop. I'm Kevin Liu, the host of the Pick My Adventure show, and I'm glad you're ready to hear what it takes to be one of the world's most traveled. Welcome, Indy Nelson, to the show this week. Indy, thank you very much for joining us. Let me introduce Indy uh, quickly. He works in the tech world. He's one of the few travelers that I've talked to who is not trying to parlay his travels into a career as an influencer or in any way, but his story is very fascinating. He did all of the 195 countries in 539 days, and he did it right after graduating college. So, Indy, let me ask you, how did you decide to go about this journey to see every country in the world and why? Yeah, great question. Thanks, Kevin, for having me on the, uh, the program here. Um, so it goes back to senior year college. Um, I, I watched 60 Minutes religiously every single Sunday. And um, in October of my senior year, I saw uh, refugees uh, going from Turkey to this island called Lesbos. And, you know, it had uh, a stir in my heart. Uh, I talked to my big bro in my fraternity house, and a month later, we spent three weeks uh, during our winter break in Lesbos. And uh, you know that kind of gave me the idea of traveling, not to every country or anything, but it had a spark. Uh, I came back two months later. I went to North Korea on a whim for a uh, for winter uh, spring break, and in North Korea, I had the idea of uh, would it be possible after graduation to do this crazy feat of traveling to every country in the world, and. Uh, I made the decision on my flight back to San Francisco that if I was to figure out 100 countries and visit 100 countries, then uh, I, would, I would do the rest. Um, and uh, the rest is history. So when you were graduating college, I mean, a lot of people don't know what they're going to get into. And not to mention, they don't have a lot of money. How exactly were you able to figure out that this is what you wanted to do and that you could come up with the money to see every country in the world? Because it's not a... a it's not an inexpensive endeavor. Exactly. Um, it is. Well, I mean, I, I live in, in the San Francisco Bay Area. And when you're in other countries, a lot of countries in the world, it's way cheaper to you know stay at a hostel for four euros uh, in, in the Balkans or eat for, you know, equivalent of a dollar in, in Lebanon. So equivalency for about 120 countries is, is less than it would be living in the States. Uh, just to put in perspective, I started in May of 2016, and I hit the 100th country in December. I spent about $30,000 between those seven months, um, which included 100 flights, um, six months of living. Um, it included six weeks in London at a study abroad. Um, the food, clothing, everything that you could think in a six-month trip to 120 countries was about 30 grand. Um, the expensive countries were the last 100 um where you're going to war zones and such um but uh traveling isn't necessarily expensive like in the balkans i spent three weeks there and it was six hundred dollars for everything uh, and that's you know it's just being mindful and, and tracking and budgeting and, and planning 
on, uh, you know, how much you're going to spend and making those decisions. Okay, am I going to, you know, spend $20 at a restaurant or if I'm going to go to McDonald's and buy a dollar hamburger or a Euro hamburger and, and save the $18 that it would be going to a restaurant. It's all about those mindsets and, and uh, on a daily to day basis, that's what I thought of every decision, uh, you know, had, uh, had a thought behind it. Sure. So I want to give a little bit of background on Indy. Indy is a senior product manager in tech, and he is uh, pretty good at keeping records and details. He has a spreadsheet of every traveler who's traveled to every country in the world. He has a spreadsheet of what he spent and how he spent it, which I think has always been incredible. Like when you told me about this, but this spreadsheet, did you know all the way along? Like, have you always been this, um, meticulous in keeping details in, in records? I, I do love numbers. Uh, I, I did business uh, at Berkeley. So, I mean, I love spreadsheets. It's fascinating to me to be able to budget it out. But for me, what's interesting is not necessarily the numbers. It's like, if you plan that you're going to spend $1,000 over the course of three weeks in these countries. And for me, after the fact, I would see what the projected amount, what the actual amount is, and the difference. And every time that I saved $100 in my mind, that was equivalent to another country. So for, for myself, it was the entire aspect of not just looking at the spreadsheets and making random numbers, um, but budgeting a trip and self-funding it. Um, and and uh, yeah, it was very cool to see that going into the country where I think I'm going to spend, how much I'm going to spend on the hotels and the flights, and then seeing what I actually spent. And I do that by region. So like in West Africa, I would get all the countries, budget it out and look within that region. How long was I there? How much did I spend? How much did I save? Which allowed me to keep going. Um, so for me, I found it really fun. Maybe I'm a nerd. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> Now, yeah. you know, because I live in the tech world too, I, I, I appreciate nerds. Uh, not saying that you are, but, you know, we in the, here in the Bay Area, especially in the tech world, like we love data. We love information like this. So to have uh, to talk to somebody who has these kind of records is 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 fascinating for me. I have so many questions about that. But graduating from college, a lot of people are still they haven't fully grown, right? Uh, they're still influenced by their parents. When you told your parents right after graduation, "Hey, I'm going to go on this trip," did they have a say in this? Did they have any opinions? Uh, did you factor that in at all? Did you care what they thought? So. I mean, so taking a step back, I self-funded the whole trip. My parents didn't pay for anything. Um, and uh, I saved half of every paycheck since I was 15. I had my full-time job uh, all through community college and even at Berkeley. I had uh, um, two part-time jobs to you know, save money and also pay through school. So, I mean, I had a two-month gap from when I came back from North Korea to when I graduated. Um, so it was like end of March. Um, I graduated in May of 2016. And I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I had no idea what career I wanted to go into. Um, and it was the spark of, okay, could I actually do something crazy? Um, and for me, it was, I, I never looked at it in, in the money that was spent. I mean, the, the, the trip cost $106,000. Uh, and I, it took four years after traveling to pay it off. I didn't pay it off until last year maxing my credit cards, taking out loans and what have you. But for me, it was in the sense of I, I was willing to be 23 and take out $40,000 in loans and max out my credit cards um, because I'll never have that experience again. And I was willing to pay the interest in those cards and leverage that debt to be able to do something crazy and, and, uh, and 
try to figure out what I wanted to do with my life, which traveling allowed me to, to figure out, uh, I wanted to do something in, in project management and I ended up in product management in tech. Um, so I don't know, I, I look at it in the sense that in the course of two years of traveling, I probably gained 10 years of experience. And every day at work, uh, there's uh, at least one significant aspect that I think of uh, as a skill that I learned or gained from traveling um, that helps me into a better product manager. Uh, without that, I, I would not have been, I would not definitely not be where I am today in my career. Um, and I probably wouldn't even be in product management. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it definitely, uh, I'm definitely the regular college student when I graduate. I had no idea what I wanted to do in my life. That's why I went to go travel for two years. <laughs> sure. And, and you said you saved half of your paychecks starting from when you were 16 years old. What were those jobs that you had leading up to uh, this this travel? And you, of course, you still had to take a lot of loans on, on top of that for, and open credit cards. But what were the jobs that you had leading up to, to these travels? Yeah, so five years as a lifeguard uh, um, in a all-round facility. Uh, I, was a, uh, I worked at retail in, in a scout shop. So I was very active in Boy Scouting. So worked two years in a scout shop retail a position. Uh, I was an intern of my college president, um, worked as an uh, economics uh, professor's assistant. Um, there's this thing called the Dickens Fair in San Francisco. Uh, I worked uh, seven summer or seven winters there at that fair. Um, and then uh, I worked uh, at a library for a year and, and, and such like that. So I always had, I was always working at least 30 or 40 hours a week through school. Yeah. Um, and I just had the mindset, save half of every paycheck. Um, and, uh, you know, it definitely helped when I, uh, sure. you know, was trying to, to figure out how I could pay for this trip. So the parents had no influence because you've been pretty much self-sufficient for a long time. Did, did they say anything about your trip before you I went? Mean, yeah. So like, uh, I mean, my dad was supportive. My mom, uh, didn't really have too much say in it because like, I didn't tell her until like a week before I left. It's like, Hey, by the way, you know, to travel a little bit. Um, I, I think interesting though part for myself is I was doing a study abroad in London. Um, so the mindset is I had a, I had a flight back uh, at the end of the summer in August from Istanbul back to San Francisco. I ended up not boarding that flight. So although in the back of my mind, when I started traveling in May and the day of graduation, I still had a six week study abroad for uh, at the London School of Economics. Um, so basically I traveled for a month. I studied for six weeks. Um, and then I decided during that time, I'm, I'm not going to take that flight and, and I'm going to actually, you know, go on this crazy trip. So, I mean, it wasn't like when I, I left in May, I, I had this mindset of you know, doing it in the back of my mind. I did, but there was still like, okay, you've only done 16 countries. How on earth are you going to travel to 193 countries and go to North Korea and go to, uh, Iran or Yemen or some of these war zones. Um, but, uh, you know. Did you worry at all? Because, you know, I think in the, in the U.S. we have this mindset of you go straight from college and go straight into a job. I know that in other countries, people take a, a, a gap year yeah. and they travel, they enjoy themselves. In the U.S., it's pretty much go, go, go. You go from one job to another. You don't take a break or you go from one education to another. You don't take a break, really. Yeah. Did you worry about your job prospects or did you think to yourself that this is really going to help me out possibly or set me apart? Uh, from other candidates, I'd imagine it would set you apart for sure. I didn't have the mindset of I'm going to go travel the world and break a record to dis dif uh, distinguish myself. But I mean, I, I knew that 
if if that was to happen, that would be a story that would be great for interviews. But that wasn't a defining a, a point at all. I mean, the, the the defining aspect was I literally had no idea what career I wanted to go into, and I had the fear when I was 22, 21, 22, that I would pick a career, I'd, I'd start a job and I'd hate it. Um, and I would be stuck in this job for three years to be able to, you know, go from an associate to a manager and, and do that, um, go for an MBA and then transition to a different career. Um, and uh, I was just extremely fearful of not knowing what I wanted to do and starting a job and, and just hating it. So I mean, it, it just in context, in, 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 at the Haas School of Business, there's about 350 people that graduate every year. Um, there was maybe 10 people that didn't have a job at the end of those, at the end of senior year. I was a very, very small uh, populace. Everyone has a job out of business school. Um, so all my friends, you know, started in accounting or consulting uh, and what have you. And for me, uh, I, I did the, uh, the atypical aspect, uh, not start a job, not start a career. Um, but which I really have any idea what I want to do in my life. So it's like, I, I really commend you because it's so difficult to take a leap like that in the United States. There's so many pressures, right? You're expected right. to do certain things. Uh, now going into um, your job now or some of the tech occupations that you've had, how often does the, your travels come into play in your interviews? I, I'd imagine, do you list this on your resume? Like, is this a, a talking point? Uh, because it definitely does set you apart. And who out there doesn't like to talk about travels or think about their travels or ask about certain que uh, questions or countries? So how often does this come into play in your, your line of work or in your interviews? It, it's definitely a, a differentiator. Um, so I, I do list, list it on my resume. Um, but it's, it, I mean, so I started in, in tech at Adobe. I was a product manager at Adobe, my first, my first job in tech. Um, and there was four interviews and I think in three of the four interviews, it was mentioned, they looked at the resume and they said, Oh, tell me about this traveling trip. Um, and a question that was supposed to be 30 seconds ended up being 15 minutes because I'm just in dialogue, having a conversation with the other person. Right. Um, because traveling is, uh, relates to pretty much. I wouldn't say everyone in America, but I mean, it, everyone's in, in a lot of people in tech have gone, you know, at least out of the country once, um, went on a two week trip somewhere. And, and, uh, you know, there's a relatable aspect of, of traveling. Um, so, uh, and you know, geopolitics, it's always on the news. So people are aware of what's going on in the world. So yeah, it made a huge aspect. If it wasn't for traveling, I, I, I would not have been able to get into product management. Um, I, I don't believe initially, um, but I mean, the whole aspect of traveling for me uh, was uh, to learn a lot of different things and a lot of different genres and uh, in product management, you're not a specialist in any specific domain or the objective is for you to be open-minded and have a generalist aspect of a lot of different uh, you know, parts of, of uh, um, you know, just from a generalized aspect of the product manager. Um, so yeah, traveling helped on that. Um, it, it was definitely different. A lot of people don't go into an interview and be like, Hey, you know, I, I decided to go travel for two years and not start a job. I mean, it's, it, it was atypical, you know? Yeah. But, but the fact that you set this goal down and you accomplished that goal and you did it in such a impressive way where you had a spreadsheet, you, you estimated how much it would cost and everything. I'd imagine that looks great for every employer to kind of see. 
Um, was it hard to go from a trip like that into the real world? Because you're seeing so much culture and you're seeing so many different, uh, like so much different scenery and pe meeting so many different people and trying new foods. Uh, was it hard to go from this free life, uh, exploring the world back into regimented society where you're working at a company nine to in tech world, probably nine to eight, probably, you know, so was it hard to do that? Um, well, that's an interesting question. So, uh, I graduated, I graduated in 2016 in May. I traveled for 18 months until the end of December. Um, and I did not start my full-time job, um, for three years, three full years. Uh, so I started full-time in April of 2021. So there's a gap. Okay. What did you do? 2018, 2019, 2020. And the start of 2021. Well, even after traveling, I still had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. Literally no idea. Uh, and I was also broke. Um, so basically, I'm paying $1,000 a month in interest and just you know balancing uh, from one card to another. Um, so uh, um, about six months after being home, um, I was speaking with my big brother in my fraternity house, and he mentioned project management. Um, so I spent a year studying to be a, a, a project management professional, PMP certification, which is the gold standard in project management. Um, during that same time, uh, basically, this brings us to about the end of 2019, early 2020, um, COVID happened. The day I finished my PMP was on March 5th, and that was, I think, on the 6th in, Amer in California, everything was locked down. Um, so I, I earned my PMP, everything gets not, uh, locked down, and in the same aspect, I also realized that I didn't want to do project management. It was product management I wanted to do because in the tech world, project management is not, uh, it's extremely difficult to get into, uh, they call them program managers. And most program managers have 10 years of experience. So the only way to get into product is to be a product manager, not a project or a program manager. So COVID happened. I spent another year earning three additional professional certifications. Uh, during COVID, and then finally in 2021, I applied to 500 jobs, and and uh, I landed at Adobe. So very very atypical. 2016 to 2021, I would go on Facebook and YouTube, and and well not YouTube, Facebook and LinkedIn, and I, you know, my friends are like you know, got promoted to managers of IB uh, uh, investment banking firms, or or you know all these different promotions, and they're listing it out. And for me, I hadn't started my career yet. So, you know, that's, you know, it was, uh, um, it was a psychological, uh, a challenge for sure. Um, but in the long run, it, it worked to figure out what I, you know, take the time to, um, end up in product management. And I absolutely love it. Like this is exactly, um, the space that, uh, that, uh, I, I thrive in. So, sure. Um, no, I can, I can tell, um, to give everyone out there a little bit of background, most of the time I do these interviews and it's a cold interview, which means I haven't really talked to them beforehand. I get a little bit of information and I ask questions just for the first time when we're doing the interview. With Indy, Indy actually wanted a preliminary call. And so we talked on the phone and we talked for, I think, well over an hour. It's just such an easy conversation. So a lot of these questions uh, I've probably I've asked before, but we asked just in a regular conversational manner. I mean, I was in Peru. Uh, no, yeah, I was in Ecuador at the time. But it took a little while to get this interview uh, set in place, uh, just because, you know, the regular logistics of a, of a work, uh, work life. 
And that's one of the big differences with indie is that, you know, you work in tech and you have a career. And so this is not something that you are trying to uh, put money on the, you know, on, on the table or your food on the table uh, by doing some kind of interview to get more attention. In fact, I even mentioned about how your Instagram, I don't think has had a new picture on it. By the way, you do have great pictures in your Instagram, but uh, it, I don't think it has a new picture since, you know, for four or five years maybe now, right? Yeah. yeah. So um, now I know I, I, I'm going to get into the uh, what everyone wants to hear, which is your favorite countries, your traveling experiences. But I thought logistically this is so interesting. I just wanted to kind of cover that at the very beginning. But you did all the 195 countries. I mean, I know there's 193, 195, 197, but you did all of the countries in 539 days, which means that you had on average maybe two and a half days in every single country. Was that enough time? Like, how how did you do that? Do you face any criticism for going through the countries that quickly? Yeah, so I I would take a step back and and ask uh, um, when for if you're tr- you know, planning a, a trip to let's say Miami for a week, um, you know you've been you know working for six months, you finally got that vacation break, and you decide to go to Miami or 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 you decide to go to Panama or Egypt or some trip. Think to yourself on how much time it takes for you to plan out that trip. And uh, it typically will take 10, 20, 30 plus hours just for a week uh, trip uh, because you're figuring out your itinerary, you're figuring out your flights, your hotels. Now maximize that by uh, booking 250 hotels, 305 flights, uh, 55 visas, getting 305 stamps, uh, logistically figuring out how to get more passports when when they're full, and then couple that with learning something about every country and experiencing um for myself it was i need to experience something in every country for it to be valued for me um so have that mindset and then also think in the middle of that i spent six weeks studying at the london school of economics um so when you factor that six weeks in addition to about a hundred days of planning in in california so I, i came back in three different times to california to plan out the next trip I actually only was traveling for 405 actual days. Um, the difference of the two was three times in California than LSE, about 130 days of planning. Um, so in the course of 405 days, you have 195 countries. Okay, in your mindset, you're thinking two days a country. For myself, I, I decided which countries I would go to based on two different criteria. The region, I decided I was going to go to West Africa. Well, I'm in West Africa. I'm going to be there for six weeks. The second criteria was based on flights. Um, I flew to a majority of countries. Very reluctantly did I go in a van across the border. Um, It was just easier and more efficient uh, to to fly. So I would get the mindset that if I have a flight, I have the early flight, let's say, you know, six, seven in the morning um, or, you know, anytime during a day. um, Let's 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 put the aspect. Let's say it's 11 a.m. on a day. Well, I got the morning to figure out, okay, how I'm going to get to the airport and, and experience the rest that I am in, in that country I'm in. Get to the airport. Basically, it's like an hour flight to wherever I'm going. Uh, I would get to the airport about a half hour before because I'd get the boarding pass before and I had a carry-on bag. Customs is really quick. So within about two hours from start to finish, I'd be in another country. You then have a half a day. I would spend a full day in that next country. And then the following day would be another travel day. So... In the course of 36 hours in a country, um, for myself, most countries that did not know what I was going to do, 
Um, so I would figure out based on like maps.me, this app, or a guidebook on the flight. Um, and, and typically I'd be in the capital of that country. Um, so did I experience everything I could of a country? Absolutely not. But I've seen the eyes of every single uh, um, ethnicity in the world and, and the cultures. And you can read in a book, but when you're in Yemen and you see a civil war and you see a mom with eight kids that don't have any shoes um, and, and you make eye contact, I mean, there's, you can't, you can't, uh, you, you can't experience that any other way from being there. You can't experience from a book or, or a story that someone tells, but the humanity that you receive from seeing the world um, was, was critical for me. Um, so, uh, but yeah, about 36 hours would be the average per country, I would say. I um, see. And I slept well, like five hours a day. So I was wow. always going. So yeah, this actually opens up so many more questions. Now I, I know that a lot of people, there's a lot of online trolls who are, are very critical of, they feel like they're the gatekeepers of, of travel styles and you will see this in, in a lot of like online groups where people criticize like, oh, they didn't really experience the country because they were only there for so many hours or, you know, it doesn't count. And yeah. for, for me, I'm like, everyone can travel the, the way that they want. I mean, if you want to go to a, a city or a country and just go to the nightclubs, who's to say that, that that's any different than going there and spending time with a villager or eating some local foods on, on the street? Everyone is entitled to the way that they want to travel. So I, I hope that there's going to be less trolls out there who just want to hate on people's experiences. But how I mean, do you, they, yeah. there, is, there is a point to that. I mean, there is a point that someone could say a great example would be the Democratic Republic of the Congo. So I could definitely understand the devil's advocacy of hearing that I spent 25 minutes in the Democratic Republic of the Congo and for them to ask, well, how, how did you get anything out of that country? Was it just for you to get a check box uh, on that country? Like, what was the point of doing that? Um, for myself, my argument to that is, what does it mean to experience a country? For me, it's not 100% of being in that country, but it's the entire aspect of figuring out how do you get there? Going to the embassy, in, in that case for the DRC, was in Benin. There's only one place outside of DC you can get a uh, a visa in Benin. In order to get a DRC visa, you had to get four other visas. Um, and then figuring out how to logistically to get to the DRC over borders, over flights. Um, and I spent about 100 hours in blogs and, and all of that to figure out the logistics of getting the visa and actually going there. Um, and then in the course of that one day of going to the DRC, which I also went to Angola and, and the ROC, uh, Republic of the Congo, I almost got kidnapped. I almost got uh, uh, murdered on the border. Um, I almost, uh, uh, I, I, when I got back to the Republic of the Congo, uh, the, the border was closed uh, for Angola and I didn't want to be stuck in a war zone. So that was the problem. Um, so it wasn't just 25 minutes in the DRC, but it's the aspect of if I did not have that, that goal of visiting every country, then I wouldn't have spent the 100 hours to try to get there. I wouldn't have got that visa. I wouldn't have done this whole traveling to get to the DRC over Angola, over land. And I mean, that story on it, on its own of what I learned from that, that experience is, is, uh, um, I mean, I think about it pretty much every week of, of that one day of going to Angola and the DRC, just cause it was just one of the craziest days, um, of, of the entire trip. Um, so it's, I mean, my argument to trolls is it's not just the 25 minutes, it's the whole picture. Um, 
but absolutely, I did not uh, learn the DRC culture. Uh, I mean, how could you in 25 minutes? Um, but that wasn't the, the mindset uh, solely. And there was places in the world that I did. Um, I spent three weeks in Cambodia, um, but I spent uh, um, uh, like two days in Burma. So it's, it's like, sure. you know, the balancing act. Uh, you're not going to encompass everything about every country in, in this trip. It's impossible. You got to pick and choose sure. and... Why well, did Cambodia get three weeks? I just love the culture. I visited there three times, each time for a week. Um, and it's the only place in the world that you can be sitting in like a first world, like fancy Starbucks, more fancy than in San Francisco, where I'm from, and walk outside and you're in the third world. And people are extremely uh, nice and smiling. Um, no crime. Uh, you can walk at four in, at night and... Um, you know, you, it, it, you know, you're not harassed. You're not having to worry about your safety. Like I, and the, and the culture is just incredible. Um, and it's so cheap, uh, yes. in, in Cambodia. So, um, so yeah, Definitely. Three weeks in Cambodia. Yeah. I loved it. I would go back in a heartbeat. Yeah. Same here. Uh, so let me ask some of the other questions that I had from what you were saying before. So did you have everything planned out on this trip? You said you'd mentioned how many plane flights you had to take, you know, just getting the visas in every country. Did you have everything planned out? Because flights are routinely delayed, they're missed. How did you go about doing this trip? Did you buy once you got to the country or how far along did you plan ahead? And you said booking hotels, I, I, all the bookings that you had to do, but how far ahead did you plan each way of this, the trip? So I would say that part is what the most value of this trip was. And, and it was the sense of when I was you know, speaking like 20 minutes ago and, you know, budgeting out and figuring out, you know, the, the planning of them to spend a hundred dollars here and how much did you actually spend when it comes to flights and the itineraries, my mindset was building in buffers that what if scenarios, what if my flights canceled, what do I do? Um, and, and for myself, I would look at it from a month out and there wasn't an instance that a shock occurred that I wasn't able to have thought out before. Um, so in the course of 305 flights, there was only two flights that were canceled and both times it worked out in my benefit because I had a three day buffer and my travel insurance gave me $600 for the three days, $200 a day. So I stayed in a five-star hotel because if you don't spend it, you'll lose it. <laughs> um, nice. Carry on so you don't lose your bag. Um, you get through customs really quickly. Um, what happens if you lose your passport? I had two. Uh, um, what happens in, in, in Suriname? My flight was canceled. I found out at the airport at 5 a.m. Uh, I had to get to Peru uh, within three days. Uh, and it was the domino effect after that. I had 12 countries that I was going to in the course of two weeks. I had already booked all my flights. Um, and so it would, have been about, it would have been a disaster. And there was no other flights out of Suriname. So you're totally screwed. The flight was canceled. You're, you're totally out of luck. So in the course of having very minimal internet uh, at the airport at six in the morning, uh, how do you get to Peru three days later um, and, and uh, not have that domino effect? Uh, and it, it was out of the box thinking. Uh, there was only one other flight that was going to Miami um, and it was going through Georgetown. Uh, I ran into the city because the only place that you could book this ticket, it was a 10 a.m. flight. It was at like six in the morning. So it was only four hours away. The people at the airport was like, we can't sell the, the flight. And the tour agency that does sell the flight, they open at nine. There's only one seat available on the flight. 
So they were like, there's no way that you're going to be able to board this flight. And uh, rushed the city, talked to the woman. She was able to get me a, 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 a flight. And I flew to Miami. And then, you know, there was like four different flights to get to Peru. Um, so it's, you know, it's those what ifs. And also when a, a, when a difficult situation happens, um, how do you solve that situation? If I had not been able to get on that 10 a.m. flight, uh, there wasn't another flight for three more days because it was a, a travel a, a travel warning. So no other flights out of the country. All the flights were grounded except this one that was that was leaving at 10. Um, uh, then, you know, I, I would have been totally screwed. Um, uh, so it's like, uh, you know, things worked out if you if you think and plan ahead. And that's exciting. It's cool if something bad happens because you figure out, like, how to solve that problem. And then you reflect back and like, oh, this actually worked out. And I would never projected that the outcome would have worked out as well as it did. Um, it's so that's truly incredible. I, I can only think of like the amazing race where you are on a constant deadline to get someplace. For me, I book trips with a one way ticket and I play everything by year. So I have the freedom. I'm never that stressed. But for you to have planned have bought 12 tickets in a row is saying a lot about the confidence that you have in these countries to honor these flights. And like you said, in this was Suriname, right? In Suriname. So I would say, well, yeah. so uh, speaking to your question of like how I, how many flights I, I had booked in, in which area. So talking about the trip in, in a grouping, when I left in May, I had a hundred and I had a hundred flights booked. Although I had my, uh, my Turkey flight booked, I still booked all the way through the end of November in wow. the mindset of would it be crazy if I actually did it? Um, so I had a hundred flights booked um, to about 80 countries. <laughs> That's um, crazy. And I knew within a region. Uh, so basically I knew through the end of November when my flights were. Um, I didn't know where I was staying. I didn't know what I was doing. But having that mindset of you're going to fly out and you're going to enter this new country um, gives me that you know the ability to then you know, when I'm in Dubai being like, okay, I'm going to go to Egypt next. All right. Where am I going to stay? And, and at the airport, you're figuring out hotels.com or the hostel. Um, and by looking at the regions, like Balkans was a region for two weeks. Uh, Central Asia was a region for two weeks. Southeast Asia was three weeks. Um, uh, within that region, I would then figure out what major things, attractions do I want to see? Angkor Wat in Cambodia, the pyramids in Egypt. Uh, in Gaza, um, uh, uh, Machu Picchu in Peru, uh, the Eiffel Tower in Paris, um, the Louvre, uh, the Egyptian Museum. Um, and there was things in different regions that I knew I wanted to go see. Um, and uh, I made sure that those happened. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it was, it was a balancing act. If I spent three days in Peru, I only got to stay, you know, a day in Chile or eight hours in Chile. Um, and it was all based on transit of flights because I'm paying for this whole trip. Um, so it was like, okay, when you're figuring out your flights, like the, what's the most optimal way to get from one country to another, you go through a transit city. It's a free flight because like typically if it's a transit, uh, that that airline is home based, uh, it's a, it's a free way to, to do a transit there mm -hmm. uh, or a stopover. So all these little tricks, uh, all incorporate in, into the, the traveling mindset and as you plan you get better at it mm -hmm. um so and i saved the most difficult countries for the end i did this the easy ones first like europe europe's easy it's a first world country pretty much all over europe um uh whereas i would save like south america which is a lot more difficult 
um, than Europe uh, for uh, like country 80 and on or mm-hmm. the Caribbean. I did that within a, a, a two week period of time. Um, so I try to stay within the region. And when you're in a region, a lot of the, the cultures and language and, and populace are the same. I mean, South America, except for Suriname and uh, and uh, uh, Guinea, um, yeah. or Ghana, uh, mm-hmm. everyone speaks Spanish. Yeah. Um, so it's like a lot of the culture is very similar. Um, so, uh, yeah. was, was that the most difficult thing that happened to you when you were in Suriname and that flight was canceled? Or did you have any other horrible travel experience? I don't even know if that counts as a horrible travel experience because it was an adventure. You still ended up figuring it out and making your way to Peru. Um, but did you have any other hiccups along the way like that? Or was that the worst? Depends what you mean by hiccup. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's try this. How, did you have any, uh, what was the most difficult uh, situation that you encountered during your trip? When you say difficult, you mean dangerous or just logistically a nightmare? <laughs> you are definitely a project project product manager here, you know? Uh, you, you need to figure out. So I would say, yes, how about dangerous? Because I think people like to hear that the most. Yeah, absolutely. Because, like, logistically, that's a totally different aspect than dangerous. Dangerous True. is fun. Uh, yes. I, love, I love looking at it, uh, um, looking back at it and being how, how scared, terrified I was in, in, in some of these situations. So. Uh-huh. I was detained four times for being a spy. I was not a spy, Uh but in four countries, they thought I was. So Mm -hmm. the first time I was detained was by the Russians in a place called Abkhazia. Um, The reason I was detained is I had a press card. And the only way for me to get into Iraq, which I went to the front lines in Kurdistan, was to have a press card. So that's a story on its own. Going to the front lines being 800 feet from ISIS. uh, Story on its own. But anyways, I had this press card. And I'm in this country called Abkhazia, which is from Georgia. They've been in war with uh, this place called Abkhazia, self-declared uh, sovereign country, but nobody recognizes it outside of Russia. Uh, so they see the press card, they see the U.S. passport. And uh, with that, you know, they thought I was a spy. So I was detained for eight hours, uh, brought to the city uh, jail. Um, and, and that was pretty, pretty terrifying of an experience. Uh, but it worked out. I was able to uh, to uh, to be released after twelve hours. Um, what did they do during that detention period? Uh, they questioned me for five hours straight. Wow. Um, and um, after five hours, they when they searched my bag, they found a press card. Um, and then they looked at the passport and they saw all the stamps. Um, so both of those were kind of like, okay, what what is this kid doing? Um, so. Uh, was the person intimidating? Is it like you see in the movies? Did he have like a cigarette or was there a good cop, bad cop? How, how was that? I, was there light shown on you? You know, like. So, I mean, it, it was it was pretty relaxed for the five hours I was in. A, it was on the border in like this, uh, this interview, like hut, basically like a, um, not a cabin, but like an, out, an outer post, I guess. Like it had windows and, and a table and what have you. Um, so I was in this interrogation room, you know, for five hours on the border. You know, you can look out the window and see people going to the border. Um, and then after five hours, they saw the press card. I didn't know it was a problem because they didn't explain it to me as a problem. Basically, they they said in in a nice, casual, smiling way, oh, let's give you a, a trip to the city. So I, I did not realize at the time that they were arresting me because they didn't put handcuffs on me. But they had this military truck show up. Uh, with three soldiers um, in, in the Abkhazian uniform. And uh, 
and, and they bring me to the city center. So I'm sitting in this truck thinking that, okay, everything's great. Like I got in the country, they're giving me a free uh, trip for the 10 miles. This is wonderful. So we get to the city center. The, uh, the, the chief policeman uh, is there. He buys me lunch. Same thing, thinking everything's great. And then, you know, with a big smile, he brings me into his office, closes the door, and then I look at the windows, and there's bars in the windows. And I'm like, huh, this is interesting. Um, and it, it, it's a long story than that, but uh, after eight additional hours, um, they, uh, they got permission wow. from Moscow. That's what they said. They communicated with, with Moscow because they were Russians, uh-huh. Russian, uh, Russians that were wearing Abkhazian uniforms just to be able to blend in with the locals, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting. Um, but ultimately, the, the main uh, uh, policeman, he was Russian. He uh, brought me back to the border and then uh, uh, let, uh, let me go back into Georgia. Um, so interesting situation. Um, and then basically at that point, I had a flight to catch the next morning. There was only one train left to go to, uh, Tbilisi, which is the capital, uh, which is a six hour train ride away. If I would have missed that flight, it would have been a domino effect. Cause like I had 10 flights basically day after day, uh, from there. Um, so I, I think I got it with like 15 minutes of spare. Wow. Um, I got to the airport, I ran through security and I was the last person to board the flight. Um, and, uh, and I made it so crazy, and you, crazy. And you said you had three other countries you were detained also, uh, Iran, Iran? Um, okay. Libya. Okay. And Papua New Guinea. Okay. I see. Yeah. So Papua New Guinea, I, I guess is a little bit more surprising than the other ones. Um, I did get the U S embassy involved in that one. Um, okay. that's a story. Uh, that's not as fun as the Libyan story. Uh, okay. The Libyan and the Iranian story uh, is more like our Libya is like Argo. Have you seen the movie Argo? Uh, no, with Ben Affleck, but I, I, I need to watch that. So anyone that, okay, so you, add it to your, your list. Okay. Um, in Argo, when you're at the airport, um, there's basically they get stopped and, and question what have you. Identical to what happened to me. I got into Libya, no problem. As I'm leaving, uh, I was stopped. Uh, they checked my visa. I had a business visa because that's the only way I can get in the country. Turns out the visa that I got in D.C., um, the, the company that sponsored it was 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 from Gaddafi's era in 2011. Um, so they charged me like a thousand bucks and it was from yeah. the Gaddafi regime. So that was a huge problem. Yeah, because uh, it was a false, false pretense in getting a visa, even though the visa was approved in D.C. at the embassy. Mm-hmm. Um, so long story short. Um, uh, the people at, at the, the, those at customs in Libya, you know, they check every passport when you leave, not when you enter. Um, they phoned the company, found out the company is, is you know, no longer exists because they were under Gaddafi's. And for the next eight hours, I had four, um, four officials from the city, uh, like all the top officials in this airport room with me. They brought in an, uh, a translator. And it was hardcore eight hours of questioning, like everything that I'd done for the previous two years. They went through every photo on my phone, every passport, took photos of everything. Um, And uh, and it was very clear uh, that they thought I was a spy. Mm -hmm. Um, The only reason I got out of it is the translator had a son who was 18, looked just like me. And he said, I vouched for you. I could see Mm -hmm. you as... I could see my son in you because I'm mm-hmm. brown. He's brown. Like the, the resemblance is there. Yeah. And he realized that I was not there 
fraudulently I wasn't there as a spy, so to travel mm -hmm. and visit this country. And he vouched for me. That was the only reason I was able to not get detained. Uh, I definitely would have been arrested and it would have been like international news um, sure. for an American to get detained in Libya. Um, yeah. But uh, he vouched for me and I was able to uh, to board the flight the next morning. So uh, uh, that was probably the, the most dangerous part of the trip. Sure. I could have went either way. I'm sorry you went through that. I, I, I've only had a couple of situations. Um, one was I was detained in Cuba, I think, for about an hour. Um, but I think it was very random and arbitrary. The other time where I felt that every answer I gave was incorrect was when I was going from... I was going into Lebanon. And I was coming from Israel, and you can't go from Israel to any countries, really. Uh, you can you could fly out, but around that region, it's very hard to fly directly anywhere. So I had to go to Cyprus, and I went from Cyprus to Lebanon. And uh, I forgot that I had a security stamp on the back of my um, passport that was Israeli. Yeah. And uh, I, I needed to take it off. But um, I had read that you're not supposed to say that you were in Israel. And I yeah, said, really good fans. They don't, they don't like yeah, each other that much. No, it, exactly. And, and I said, no. And then he, he turns my passport around. I mean, granted, this is a new passport, but he turns my passport around. And he says, what's this? And I said, <laughs> I, I said, I, I was like, I was just speechless because I, I didn't know what to do. I said, uh, I said, they said not to say that we're from, that we went to Israel. Oh, and, that's he good. Says, and he says, hold on. And then he goes to the back and they're talking in the windows and, they're looking through and they're like pointing at me and then they're like looking through and I'm just, I'm starting to sweat at this point. Um, but I'm like, what's the worst that they can happen? Just they'll send me back. Um, but eventually he comes back um, probably after five minutes and he says, he, he stamps it and he just goes like, you didn't have to lie to me. And then I said, okay, thanks. And I just grabbed the passport and went through, but I haven't had anything like yours where it's like eight hours of interrogation. Um, so let's but get into like, yeah. I mean, those, those, the most difficult parts of the trip, where I mean, I I had a, I had a panic attack in Abkhazia, I had a panic attack in Libya. After the eight hours, when they told me I could not leave because the last flight was out, I was like, "Oh man, like this." Okay, panic attack at that moment. Um, but during these really like crazy interrogations where you see in the movies, like I was able to hold you know hold myself steady and and not you know be uh, have anxiety or or overthink it or, or what have you. Uh, and looking back, those were the things that really strengthened who I am today, being able to get through those situations. I mean, it's when you're interrogated for 24 hours as a whole in four different um, countries, um, mm -hmm. that changes you. That changes the way you think, the way that you uh, persevere, the way that you're able to answer questions and figure out what questions uh, and answers you gave that weren't really good. Uh, yeah. And uh, so I, I wouldn't say... Uh, those were bad things. I would say those four things for me were the highlights of the trip because they, yeah. they made it, they, they made the trip to figure out, uh, you know, it wasn't you know easy across the board, but there was these huge roadblocks and I was able to get through the roadblocks, uh, in, yeah. intact. Uh, so I, I thrive on, on the unknown. I thrive in problems. I thrive when sure. issues happen. They, yeah. that, I love it. I love like when there's a roadblock because you're able to, like brainstorm and figure out how do you get through it? How do you, how do you uh, change the, the trip? How do you, how do you uh, figure out you know, C, D and E? Yeah. Um, it, so it, really, it, it, it really does challenge you. And on top of that, it, it, it opens you up in turn or humbles you as well. I remember in, in that Cuba experience, 
as an American, I feel like a lot of times we feel very entitled. We get angry if the line is too long. We get angry if somebody questions us in a way that we're like, you know, you don't, I don't have to answer this. I have rights. But I remember in that Cuba experience when I had just landed and I, at first I was a little indignant. I was like, okay, you know, like what else? And, but I could just tell in his eyes, he was not scared. And I was like, I needed to be afraid because they could just detain me or they could just ship me back. But, um, but I realized in that moment, I was like the typical American attitude of, Hey, you know, I, you can't do this to me is not going to fly here. Um, so it does humble you for sure. Uh, can I ask you, even though these are some of your, your favorite moments of your travels, I have to ask these questions. What are your favorite countries that you went to? What's the favorite country if you have one? Cambodia. Cambodia, okay. Uh, regionally, Central Asia is like, if, if anyone is looking for a place to go that no one else has really experienced yet, uh, uh, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, you, uh. Uh, um, uh, Turkmenistan is a lot of people don't go, but uh, Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan, those two countries, so cheap, uh, so incredible. Um, I mean, the food is is the healthiest in the world. The culture is incredible. Um, and I spent like three weeks in total in, in, in the stands. Um, and a lot of people don't go to Central Asia. It's it's the mm-hmm. last frontier. Um, yeah. So yeah, Central Asia and Southeast Asia, both those regions are the highlights of the world for me. Yeah. So I, I actually am looking at taking a trip in a, another week or so week and a half and i'm looking at the stands but i'm worried because once i get there i'm going to want to properly go through all of the countries and then with thanksgiving coming up and christmas i love to be home the bay area for christmas just because i love family time and i love seeing my cousins and the extended family so i just worry about going to that region but i've heard so many great things like i've always wanted to go to kazakhstan for a long long time even when I was very early on in my, my country list, mm-hmm. because I had went to the World Expo in Beijing, and I believe that was maybe 2008 or maybe, or was it maybe 2010? But I ended up partying with the Kazakhstani pavilion, and I thought it was so fascinating that they had so many Asian customs with the like Russian dialect, and it was just a mixture of cultures that I just thought was so interesting, so fascinating. The people, just a mixture of looks as well. Uh, but I've since heard so many great things. A lot of the people that I've interviewed uh, will mention the uniqueness of Turkmenistan, of the the, the dictator, the president there that um, has banned all the books except for one, one that he wrote or n- renamed the days of the week for his family members, things like that. It just seems like such an interesting region, but pretty safe though too, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's basically like I think of of uh, um, the capital Ashgabat as like a Roman city. Like literally, everything is like super clean. Like there's no trash around. There's nobody walking around, um, yeah. really, uh, which is interesting. But like the place is spotless, and like these, these huge buildings are literally just like beautiful with gold and i mean they have so much money um and it's a dictatorship so you can like you know just make your capital great um yeah. but Turkmenistan, that, that city is really cool uh it, it's a really cool place to go for like two days uh i couldn't live there i couldn't stay there like it's it's you know um but uh yeah it's it's, it's hard to go there it's hard to get a visa but um Turkmenistan is one of the the seven stands that's uh like a lot like very few people go yes. um and it's it's worth like it's it's worth it to see the the, the city. I mean, there's so much mm-hmm. to actually like 
experience that's different than anywhere else in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's a it's a cool experience. Uh, but it's, uh, yeah, Kazakhstan's a cool place um, sure. by far. So I hope that you actually go there and, and yeah. spend some time there. Well, um, so cool I, I wanted to ask. You said you averaged about thirty six hours in in every country, and you said you averaged five hours of sleep. I, I didn't sleep a lot. Uh, yeah. So um, for me, when I'm in a country for more than like three days, I get bored. Like I was mm-hmm. in Israel for a week and I was like, Jerusalem's an incredible city, but I'm not yes. on the move. You're at a hostel for like seven days. Yeah. Um, so I got bored. It, it's like, you know, uh, you're sleeping 12 hours a day because you're just like, you know, yeah. you're, you're able to be in a place. Whereas if I'm moving, like I don't need to sleep for eight hours to be rested. I can, mm-hmm. you know see everything I, I want to see, go to sleep at 11, get up at five, go catch that next flight. And yes. uh, I feel totally rested and, and ready to go. So you did have the moments to recuperate and have some downtime to catch up on sleep rather than just go, go, go. Did you ever feel exhausted? No, I never felt exhausted. Uh, mm. I, I built in buffers. Like there, there were situations like the Angola DRC situation where I knew I was going to be up for 48 hours straight, no way around it. Cause I had to get to certain countries to catch certain flights um but then i I was in mauritius for seven days um in this gorgeous island and experienced all four sides of the island so just Mm -hmm. totally relaxing like you know amazing um but then right after that it was like back to back for for two weeks um so yeah i built in i built in relaxation and buffers as as much as i could and uh there was never a time that i was in a country that i wanted to stay longer in i was always excited for the next Mm -hmm. thing i always I, I always felt that I got all that I needed to in that country to understand a piece of it. And I saw the world yeah. as a puzzle. Um, so it was like you, you, you visit that country, you get a piece, you see a bit of the culture, you experience as much as you can in that short amount of time. Uh, and you add that to the puzzle and, and the trip was the, 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 you know, the puzzle of the world sure. um, piece of every different culture. Um, so, so I, I take it you didn't spend much time laying out at the beach, uh, with a cocktail in hand, reading a book. At all? Did you do that at all? I mean, in, so so like drinking wise, I'm not someone that like. I think I got drunk once in the trip, uh, and that was actually after the year. No, it was in London. I got drunk a lot in London, um, yeah. because it was like you're it's study abroad. But when I uh-huh. traveled, I never drank. Uh, so and I never went to parties. I never went to clubs. That saves um, a lot of money. Yeah, and like for me, like I don't, I don't enjoy getting drunk to like, you know, pass the time in a country on a vacation. Uh-huh. Um, I would rather be sober and and experience as much as I can and be up for sixteen, seventeen hours and mm-hmm. and walk around the city. Uh, like in yeah. Cuba, you mentioned Havana. Mm-hmm. Um, majority of people would take the twenty five dollar uh, trip and jump in a taxi to the airport. Mm-hmm. My flight was at four p.m. I woke up at seven and I walked to the airport. I walked twenty five wow. miles. And the wow. things that I saw yeah. of walking through backyards, walking through areas that tourists don't go to, literally mm-hmm. just walk into the airport. Um, I mean, that alone was was an experience. Um, yeah. And I didn't mind doing that. I, I you know, um, I ran in 100 countries. I walked to probably 70 different airports. Um, mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I was just always on the move. I always wanted to see things. Um, and that aspect, I saved 25 bucks and got to see uh, uh, the countryside. Uh, yeah. Um, and it was incredible. So, and, and you weren't sweating bullets, like just oh. so, drenched in sweat, walk into the airport in 25, for 25 miles? I mean, yeah, but like for me, yeah. like, I mean, I, I was in excellent shape uh, and I yeah. ran every, I, I ran 100 countries. Like I ran in Iraq, uh, 
I, I ran in uh, in Chad. Uh, you, you mean just going for a jog? Yeah, like three-hour jogs. Typically, oh, nice. like in the morning or at night, I would just run, and I would run through the entire capital. Yeah. Um, so literally, like, literally two or three hours. Um, and for me, like, if I mean, it would be a 10 or 12-mile run uh, for a jog, and you'd see a lot of the places that, that you wouldn't have seen otherwise. Sure. Um, and uh, I had this, you know, app in my hand, and I would use it to figure out where I was going. Uh -huh. um, and, uh, you know, some of the best experiences were, were uh, not planning out, but having a, you know, knowing when, mm. knowing that you got to get to your flight at eight o'clock at night, what are you going to do for that day? Well, yeah. okay, there's unknowns. I just know I got to get to the airport by 7.15 to catch the flight. Um, yeah. And you got 12 hours to explore. And, uh, you know, the best experiences in my mind is, uh, is, is from the unknown of not sure. having an agenda. But yeah, mine's a little bit different. So when I land, I told you before that I have a one-way ticket. I land yeah. in a country and I have, I do minimal research. That way it's kind of an adventure. Like a lot of times I don't even have my hotel booked. I will get out of the airport to just get a sense of how chaotic it's going to be. If a lot of people are trying to hustle me for taxis, I know it's, I'm in for a, a real culture shock. You know, I got to learn on the fly. But a lot of times I'll, I'll just ask if I do take a taxi or if I take a bus or a train, I'll just try to go into wherever I believe is the center of the town, go to a coffee shop, try to get some Wi-Fi and just try to discover things that way, which I believe is a real adventure. I don't think enough people do it, uh, but I think that it's one of the last true adventures you can have is to land in the city and country with no itinerary, no research, and just figure it out while you're there. It's, it's truly uh, a a mind-blowing experience and it pushes your comfort zone to grow so much um so let me ask you how how has things changed for you after you completed this trip have you are you still traveling like what what, what are your trips like now that you've taken since you completed this which was five years ago what 2018 right yeah so the last trip i went to was uh, uh i went to israel syria and lesotho and south africa right before covid mm -hmm. um in in uh um in in August uh, of uh, 2019. So that was the last time out of the country. I mean, COVID was the reason for, for being stagnant for three years. Uh, and I, I didn't get COVID. Uh, I, I was definitely, uh, um, when you're traveling, you can see a weapon, but you can't see a germ. Um, that was always yeah. my fear in traveling. Um, so for COVID, it was like, okay, I'm not going to take the risk of, of getting, um, you know, this, this pandemic. Um, so I just hunkered down uh, and it worked for me because I was able to study uh, those certifications I was talking about and figure out what I want mm -hmm. to do with my life. Um, but uh, the the two places I do want to go now uh, is Petra. I've always wanted to see Petra in Jordan and the Grand Egyptian Museum in Cairo, uh, mm -hmm. the, the newest museum uh, right next to the pyramids. Mm -hmm. um, and I think for myself, like when, when I was, when I'm traveling, uh, when, when I travel the world, um, I know places that I wouldn't want to go to again. And I know places I would go absolutely with that heartbeat. Um, and for myself, long-term, I want to go into politics. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it, there's a lot of value to be able to see something on the news and realize I was there. Mm -hmm. um, so. so if you hadn't been on this mission to see every country uh, all on one trip over the 539 days, would you have done things differently? Like, how would you have uh, gone about your trip? Or is this the only way that you could have ever envisioned the trip? Only way. And my, my goal 
there was no way for me to justify spending a hundred thousand dollars getting 60 grand in debt um without a full-time job without a career at 22 um then otherwise of having an objective and the objective was a world record the objective was doing something and accomplishing it um i mean a lot of people go to london uh, go to india for a summer or or a winter and they eye open their experience and that's great for them but is it differentiating to tens of thousands of others that do it for myself i was the sixth person under 30 to visit every country in the world there's only 250 people that have ever done it um yes. it's extremely difficult and no wonder why so yes. yeah i mean there's there's no other way to justify this trip unless there was a goal and the goal i end up accomplishing to be the youngest and the fastest to do it um and by having those goals there were countries that i had to go out of my way that i never would have seen otherwise mm -hmm. um that cost a ton of money like nairu this country of, of like ten thousand um in oceano cost me about like fifteen hundred dollars to go to this country i would never have gone there if it wasn't for the idea of traveling to every mm -hmm. country and it was an amazing three days i was there um so you know I think that's what a goal provides is, is those areas that, yeah, you may not spend a lot of time in that, but you wouldn't have gone otherwise. You wouldn't have seen it otherwise. Um, so. So are there any records that you'd like to set in the future travel wise? I'm, I'm good. I'm good for now. Um, I mean, I'm so I, I, yeah, nothing, nothing, nothing yet for me to spark my mind on. And you said you have a few records now. Can you talk a little bit about those uh, travel records that you have? Yeah. So um, uh, when I was, so I, I broke the record. Uh, the last country visited, I was, the last country was Yemen. I was 24 years and three days old. Um, so I became the youngest person at that point. That's since been since uh, been beaten, uh, and the fastest uh, in 539 days. Um, so those are the the two major records. Uh, I was the youngest to visit all the countries in, in Europe. I was 22 when I visited them all. Um, fastest in Africa. Um, and then I've flown on the most airlines in the world. Uh, I've flown on 197 different airlines. And the record was 182. Um, I, think that's, I think that's all of them. Um, yeah. I mean, for, for myself, like, I mean, the records are meant to be broken. Um, but it is it is cool to have set it and mm -hmm. i mean there's typically when when i'm in a job like uh, at work and some stakeholder joins the, like someone new is joining the team or, or someone that we have to communicate with like 50 percent of the time someone had someone mentions hey that guy's traveled every country in the world and that opens a conversation um as a great mm -hmm um icebreaker that i don't plan so some of my teammates just mentioned um sure. so i mean that value uh is 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 definitely worth it uh, and it'll be worth it for the rest of my life i'll be 80 and still talking about this trip but Absolutely. um but uh well let me ask you of those airlines what were what was your what was the best airline what was the worst uh emirates is, is emirates? pretty good yeah. um Cutter uh, Airlines is, is pretty good. Not Cutter, uh, Ethiopian Airlines is pretty good. Uh -huh. um, uh, so yeah, the Middle Eastern Airport airlines are great. Um, yeah, well, Indy, I, I know that we've gone a little bit over time. I'm, I'm starting to cut the time.
time down on my shows before I was going like a min an hour and a half or an hour and 20 minutes. I'm like, that's getting kind of long. So I'm trying to keep it around uh, an hour these days. I know that we can keep talking, but tell us where we can find your profiles online. I know you have a website. I know you have an Instagram that you haven't posted lately, but the pictures that you do have there are great. Your website has a spreadsheet, I believe, of all the travelers and a lot more information about you. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. So uh, website is super easy, IndyNelson.com. So Indy like Indy, uh, Indy like Indiana Jones, Nelson like Nelson Mandela, IndyNelson.com. There's a travel page. And on that travel page, it explains all the different countries in the world, what's a sovereign country, what's not. There's 208 countries that you could think of as sovereign, but the UN would say 195. So it's pretty interesting. I, I go into detail of what is a sovereign country and what's not um, and how what's the actual logic behind it. And then there's a list there, as you had mentioned, Kevin, at the beginning of the trip that I've, I've, I've found uh, through my travels of people that have traveled every country in the world. There's like a list of about 230 uh, on there. Um, and then there's photos of me in every country. And then I think probably the most valuable aspect is there's a picture of a visa and every page of, of my passport in there. So you can actually go and see like what a Kazakhstan visa looks like, what a Kyrgyzstan visa looks like, um, mm. what a yeah, Iranian uh, visa looks like. Well, it's just a stamp for Iran, but... Yeah. Uh, or Turkmenistan, one of the coolest visas. Um, so yeah, IndyNelson.com. Feel free to, to check Very out that cool. site. And how long do we have until IndyNelson.com is going to be a campaign page for your uh, political aspirations? Well, I I, I, uh, uh, I would say give me uh, give me a decade. I, I definitely will be running for an office. Uh, um, but uh, yeah. Yes. Nice. Good. Give me a decade. Let me yeah. let me get a little bit more in my career. Exciting. Exciting. Uh, all right, Indy, thank you very much for joining us. I, I enjoyed our conversations. And like I've said before, I, I can't wait for, uh, because you're in the Bay Area, to actually get a cup of coffee or, or grab a drink and meet the rest of the Bay Area travels travelers. Romaine Wells that I told you about before, that's the United employee who traveled to every country. Uh, he says there's actually a, a nice small community here in the Bay Area. So, um, He's trying to organize things for us to all get together. But, of course, I'll be like the JV level person coming out to it, looking up to all of you guys who have seen every country. But uh, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we'll talk to you very soon. Thanks, Kevin, for having me. Thanks. Remember, you can find more information about today's interview subject at pickmyadventure.com and discover more interviews. Don't forget to subscribe. See you next time on Pick My Adventure. I'm your host, Kevin Liu. You can find out more about me on Instagram at PickMyAdventureTraveler, where I let you pick my destinations and travel activities through polls. Mm -hmm.